What's going on and welcome into this week's Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. I hope everyone is staying safe and everyone and hope everyone is doing well. We'll continue to talk some basketball here. Again, remember last week the NBA announced there will be a 22-team kind of play-in slash playoff tournament in Orlando. Still waiting for a lot of pieces to be kind of put in the puzzle a little bit, but joining us now to kind of give us a Grizzlies perspective on everything, Michael Wallace, senior editor, contributor, and analyst for Grind City Media. First off, Michael, thanks for coming on. And uh, how are you holding up during this time? Hey, I'm holding up uh, as well as can be expected, man. And, uh, you know, anytime I go on podcasts or shows, I always, I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, I'm wishing safety and, and speedy recovery to all of the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, positive uh, cases that have been out there. I'm wishing families well in, in terms of those recoveries and also uh, peace and justice to the family of those whose lives have been lost. Uh, because of uh, police brutality and violence and racism out here in America. Uh, this country is going through a lot right now, but it's good that, you know, we can also sort of look forward to uh, basketball returning to help sort of mend a lot of things that we're dealing with. Very well said, Michael. Absolutely. Two very important issues going on right now in the world and something that still needs to be addressed uh, moving forward. But let's talk about this 22-team format, especially from a Grizzlies perspective, because before we got started, I was talking about how these two teams are very similar young teams, um, that are in the playoff hunt. But I know going into this, the Grizzlies were already secured a playoff spot if they went to 16 teams. But what was Grizzlies fans' reactions? What was everyone's reaction knowing that there will be 22 teams instead of maybe the 16 that was proposed earlier? Well, it's 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 Memphis versus everybody, as they say here <laughs> uh, in Memphis. But it's one of those things where as long as uh, the league came up with a proposal that respected the work the Grizzlies had done through the first 65 games, and also showed an appreciation for the fact that they had a three-and-a-half game lead uh, uh, for the final playoff spot in the West. Any proposal that respected those two things uh, was something that the Grizzlies could live with. And, and as it turned out, the proposal that's uh, being discussed right now, there's still a lot of work to do to finalize right. some details. Uh, but what's in front of everyone right now is one thing that the Grizzlies are comfortable with. Uh, they feel like they like their chances. They're a healthy roster going into this proposed uh, format. And uh, again, they know that the teams that are right there behind them are all dangerous teams. Um, and the Pelicans are one, obviously. Sacramento was a team that had recently beaten the Grizzlies. Um, and when you look at Portland, I mean, that's a dangerous team. The Grizzlies were on the verge of playing again as well before the season was stopped. So this is almost like a playoff within a playoff uh, as we get through these, uh, these next few weeks to try to get to the uh, Orlando situation. Absolutely. I know the goal for the Pelicans, at least to get to that play-in spot, either whether it's the ninth seed or the eighth seed. But obviously, there is one benefit for being the eighth seed, and that is you only would have to beat the ninth seed once compared to the ninth seed having to play two. And also, I believe the tiebreaker scenarios with winning percentage instead of um, things like that, you know, with the Pelicans up 2-0 against the Grizzlies. Were those two factors a big contributor to why maybe Grizzlies fans are okay with how this setup is based on there is a little bit more of an advantage for the Grizzlies going into this eight game kind of regular season format? Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, that's, that's key. You know, this is one thing that, you know, the Grizzlies hadn't had experience beating the Pelicans yet this season. And, you know, the Pelicans came to Memphis and won on Martin Luther King celebration weekend uh, without Zion. And then uh, Zion beat him uh, when he came back in one of his first games back when the Grizzlies went down in New Orleans. So this was a team that, you know, the Grizzlies knew, uh, would, would be one that is, is right there. And, and, you know, just when you look at the rivalry, the closeness and the proximity between the two, you know, two franchises in the cities, both of them 
on the banks of the Mississippi. Both of them have a strong musical heritage, great diversity, great food. Um, it's just something that, and two young dynamic players and rosters. And this is something that can build towards the future. But yes, the fact that the Grizzlies hadn't beaten the Pelicans yet this season uh, is a motivating factor that there's still work to do. I'm glad you mentioned the rivalry thing because that was going to be one of my later questions, but I'll go ahead and ask it now. Do you feel like this is starting to become somewhat of a rivalry? I know there's really not a lot of rivalries in the NBA right now um, compared to maybe in the past, but even within the Southwest division, you really wouldn't say any of the other teams are exact rivals, but would you say between John Morant and Zion Williamson coming up in the same year, um, two teams with a lot of great young talent, um, do you feel like this could have the potential of a pretty good robbery for the next 10, 15 years? Yeah, I, I do think so. And, you know, I think this is, it's, like I said, one of the things is it's, it's regional. Um, I know a lot of uh, media and fans like to take the trip down to New Orleans for those games. And then uh, if it's on a holiday weekend, we've seen uh, the MLK uh, uh, weekend game include the Pelicans the last couple times too uh, in recent years. So just a lot of things factor into uh, the, the budding, growing sense of the robbery. And I, I do think John Morant and, and Zion uh, both being friends, uh, growing up in South Carolina together, going one and two in this draft, uh, uh, having phenomenal upsides. I think that's going to make it a natural attraction. The proximity is going to make it a natural natural attraction. And then the fact that they have dynamic players beyond those two on the rosters. Um, you know, you know, when you look at what, what Brandon Ingram has been able to do this season, um, you know, he's sort of a unicorn. You know what? The Grizzlies have a unicorn, too, named Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you have veteran role players that have come in and can do more, but also know how to play in the team concept. Drew Holiday comes to mind. Jonas Valanciunas, Kyle Anderson comes to mind. And plus, this division, man, it's just so competitive across the board anyway. Uh, it's probably the most competitive division that we have from top to bottom in all of the league. So it's one of those situations where all of those factors uh, play a, a huge role in, in, in sort of this thing becoming a, a rivalry that we can go well into the future with. Tell me a little bit more about John Moran because you get to see him and watch him every day ever since he joined the Grizzlies. And you can obviously – see the potential that he had even at Murray State, but you saw that potential go right into the regular season for the Grizzlies, really never, you know, dropping at all. He just seemed like naturally a great progression in the NBA. What have you seen from Jaw um, from game number one to when the hiatus hit? Just the fact that, and we hear this all the time, you know, it becomes a cliche that he's a student of the game. But this guy is legitimately a student of the game. One of the things that he did when he first purchased his house in Memphis was create a film room within the house so he can get away from everything. Like he, he lives in a pretty big, you know, compound basically at his home. He moved his mom and his dad and his, his sister uh, and some of his uh, extended family down to Memphis with him from South Carolina. And, but within that home, he created a, a man cave where he just watches film. And he, you know, as soon as the game is over with, he goes over a uh, film and, and what, what his cutouts are with the coaching staff. And then he goes home. And there have been times where, you know, he, he's told me he's up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning after a game, uh, breaking down his film. So when he goes back in for the next day's film session, he's already beating Taylor Jenkins to the punch with what kind of corrections are needed for the next adjustment. So that right there tells me that not only is he a phenomenal talent, uh, all-world type talent, but he cares about uh, his craft. This is not just a sport for him. This is a job. This is a passion. And I think that comes across from day one all the way up to what you're seeing from him today. That's some great info right there on Jod. Definitely makes sense to see his progression from game one all the way to when the season came to a halt. What about Zion Williamson? Obviously not a chance to see as much of him when you're covering a team full time, but 
whether it's, uh, you know, seeing him on national TV or, or just watching him play. What have you seen from Zion in the small sample size that he's been able to play so far? Well, I'll tell you what, man, my favorite Zion moment uh, was, was well before he even, you know, uh, stepped foot on the court. You know, I was in Chicago with him on the, the eve of the draft lottery. And, you know, he walked into that ballroom. It was completely empty other than myself, uh, a couple of my, uh, my, my colleagues that were uh, filming something that I was about to do. And then we had the room to ourselves, we thought, that big ballroom. And then Zion walks in with his stepdad and his representative. And he walks to each one of the stations uh, on that draft stage. And he respectfully touches each one of the, uh, the hats or, or, the, or the areas, the logos. And it was one of those things where it was just a moment where he was taking it all in. You know, he knew he was going to be the number one overall pick. Right. But to finally be in that situation where it was going to be real the next day, uh, it showed me he had a respect for history. He had a respect for the league and the transition that he was about to make. And he also had a respect and a healthy respect for uh, the moment, the moment that he was in. You know what I mean? A lot of guys would want to be out partying and doing other things. But he was hanging out in an empty ballroom in a Chicago hotel the night before he was about to figure out where he was going to go. And that told me the kind of person that he is. He's a humble guy. I talked to his stepdad that night and uh, I wished him well. You know what I mean? I, I had a chance to speak to him for a couple of minutes privately and I wished him well. And uh, I said, make sure you touch that Grizzlies logo, too, you know, what <laughs> yeah. I mean? because we never know what's going to happen. But I think as both teams proved even if the draft, I mean, like they, those two guys were were sent to the perfect destination. Um, on the court, man, I could talk all day about Zion. This guy's explosive. Um, in a league where we're always comparing talents, he's just incomparable. You know, I mean, I, I want to say he's part Charles Barkley, part Chris Webber, part Carl Malone, um, but he's a little bit of everything, including Mc, Mc, Antonio McDice in terms of his explosive yeah. ability. Uh, he just has it all, and he's only scratching the surface at where he is at this stage of his career. Absolutely. I think both teams benefited from the two picks. And even if it was reversed, I feel like both teams would be happy with who they got. Um, We talk about these two teams being very young right now. And when you're going into a bubble format, the interesting part about this is there's no fans. And so with two teams battling for a playoff spot, they're getting eight games of great experience of just trying to, you know, push for that final spot in the Western Conference. How much could it benefit two teams like Memphis and New Orleans to go in there not having to worry about home court advantage um, the toughness of playing in places like Los Angeles or, or anything like that. How much does that benefit these two teams to be able to go in there and not have to worry about the pressures of, of a big crowd? It's funny that you mentioned that, Daniel, because I was just working on a piece where uh, I talked about how the home court advantage is completely neutralized right now. You know, right. if, you're, if you're playing the Lakers, uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, your young guys getting distracted by Kanye West sitting courtside mm-hmm. yeah. and all the celebrities there. You're not looking, you know, at, at Drake in Toronto. You know what I mean? You don't have the raucous noise of the Boston, you know, this TD Garden coming down on your head uh, or, or Utah for that matter. Or you don't have to deal with the altitude in Denver. Uh, having to adjust to that. So now everyone is the level, the playing field is level. And when you have a young team that can eliminate some of the emotional distractions that come with playing, uh, it it should help because now it's just about basketball and execution. It's the veteran teams that have gotten used to some of the privileges of being home court advantage and playing at home and fan bases and training rooms and all of those kind of things. These young guys, they were just two or three seasons removed from on the AAU circuit anyway. playing in summer league anyway so you know they could just go out and play and learn and have fun and and I think that's what uh, gives them sort of a leg up in terms of the energy at the start of this thing 
You talked about health uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies. I know they were sort of banged up heading into this hiatus. I know Jaron Jackson was one. Justice Winslow, who was just acquired from the Miami Heat, was another. Um, you mentioned that they are getting healthy. Do you assume that everyone will be ready to go? Um, I know you haven't been able to talk too much with the players, but do you assume everyone will be able to go come late July? Yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple of different ones throughout the hiatus. Um, you know, seeing them around, it's, it's, it's amazing because uh, one of the most uh, scenic places – here in Memphis is uh, Riverside Drive, which is where Tom Lee Park is right off the between the two bridges here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the players, man, when they couldn't get inside the gyms, they were doing conditioning work, running up and down the hills and the steps along the riverfront. So uh, I did have a chance to see these guys uh, health-wise. Yes, Jaron um, is, is full go. Uh, Justice Winslow, who was coming back from the back issue, uh, will be hitting training camp full go again. Um, and then Brandon Clark as well. Uh, the one question sort of right now is, is where Grayson Allen is in terms of his recovery from his hip issue. Uh, but all of these guys have progressed over the last three months. So you're looking at this being basically what amounts to an NBA offseason. One other thing that these guys are going into with the mentality of is that, you know, hey, this is this is a training camp but a cheat sheet because everyone is used to playing with each other already too. So everyone is hitting the reset button at the same time. And I think that's a benefit for all of these teams. I know one of the Pelicans goals for this season was to be competing for a playoffs, but come this time of the year. And obviously they were doing that before the hiatus. And now they get the chance to do that with these eight games. As far as the Grizzlies and expectations heading into the season, look, a first year head coach, a very young head coach has done very well so far. No matter what the result is in these eight games in Orlando, do you feel like the Grizzlies have already exceeded expectations or was this more of a, you know, still a little bit of work left to do before, you know, that you can say that? I I think it's both. And you can honestly say that it's both because, as you said, uh, they'll be going to Orlando once this thing is is all approved uh, with the youngest head coach in the field with the youngest roster in the field of the 22 teams, uh, basically a first year remodeled uh, front office expectations were that they were going to win somewhere in the high 20s in terms of games. Um, this is a team that that is ahead of the curve. They made some trades right now, too, to help them sort of uh, fast track as well. At the start of the season, no one expected playoffs. As a matter of fact, they didn't even want to talk playoffs. But now that you're here and you have the, you're on the cusp of being able to accomplish that, uh, this team wants to grow up. Uh, they're not afraid of growing up a little bit faster than some expected. And now they feel like, hey, they've earned a shot. Uh, to do something special this year. This will be the first time in three years that the Grizzlies will make the playoffs if they can hold on to that eighth seed. Um, and, and that's a much faster turnaround than they expected. They have uh, 11 guys on this roster that are between the ages of 20 and 24 years old. So that tells you something right now about the future of this team, but also how bright the present is right now as well. I'm certainly looking forward to July 31st. And just even before that, talking some basketball here as we finally get some answers later on about what's going to go on in Orlando. Michael Wallace, who contributes for Grind City Media, Grizzlies.com, to do a great job, whether it's Chris Vernon, Lang Whitaker, and your whole crew. You all do a great job covering the Grizzlies. Really enjoy your work as we kind of get to know our potential new rivals here in the Southwest Division. Uh, Michael, I really appreciate the time. When you're able to come back to New Orleans, let's get some Dragos and uh, let's meet up. I appreciate the time. <laughs> hey, no question about it, man. And we've feel the same way about the work that you guys are doing down there uh, with pelicans.com saints.com as well too man so keep up the good work let's change this digital internal digital media uh, sports landscape together absolutely thanks michael all right all right good stuff there from michael wallace of grind city media and grizzlies.com of course you want to keep an eye on the memphis grizzlies three and a half games ahead of the pelicans as we head into the restart of the 2019-20 season come july 30th july 31st whichever date 
They decide on, again, still plenty of details to be worked out in Orlando. And once those details get figured out, of course, we'll have them for you on this podcast and also on Pelicans.com and the mobile app. Big thanks to Michael again for coming on. And we'll talk to you next week right here on the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.